All right. Thank you, uh, Jason Martin, for leading us in worship today, and thank you for joining us for our online services. I'm glad that you can join us. We know that this does not replace uh, the gathering of God's people uh, together, um, but we're thankful that we can do it this way for now. Um, And one of the things I've been reminded of during this season that we're in is that um, God speaks through his word. And while we open it together in different homes across the city with our family, with our friends, our neighbors, um, our small groups, um, that, that as we open God's word together, he speaks to us both in an individual way, but also in a collective way. And so that's what we're praying for, we're hoping for, we're expecting God to do today. And so let's open in prayer, and then we're going to be in John chapter 6 uh, together. Uh, Father, thank you for your word. What a gift that you've given to us, God. If we want to know um, what you have to say, if we want to know what your voice sounds like, God, we have this beautiful document that we call the Bible, and we can open it, we can read your words, we can even hear your voice. Um, God, we can see your character and your heart displayed, God, through your word. And so, God, we pray that as we open it today, you would, God, speak to us, God, both in an individual way, meaning that, that each one of us right now, as we, we are gathered together in different homes, we hear from you. But we also are asking that, God, you would speak to us in a unified way while we're not able to gather together, God, as your people in one place at one time, that, God, you would still speak to us in a unified way, that, God, as your church, God, we would hear from you today. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we are going to be in John chapter 6. We're going to look at six verses together. Um, Before we get into John 6, it's really, it's so cool how God works. So uh, this past Monday, um, I shared with with you guys on Facebook uh, just something that God was doing in my life uh, and and how God worked in my life through Isaiah 53, uh, in particularly verse 10, where God talks about how he willfully subjected his son to suffering for our good and his glory. And I talked about how that one verse of scripture at a very specific moment in my Christian journey transformed the way I saw God and the way I understood God um, as a loving God who also subjects his children to difficult things for their good. And when I shared that with you, I honestly had not spent much time uh, digging into the passage that we're gonna walk through together today. And, and, and so the way God has orchestrated this, we're going to look at um, six verses in the middle of John 6 where Jesus both willfully subjects his disciples to something incredibly difficult and he also does something uh, miraculous for them in a transformative way. And in these six verses, I think we're going to see some of the reasons why God as a loving father subjects his children, his followers, his disciples to difficult situations. Now, I'll just say this from the beginning. I don't expect to answer all the questions about suffering today, uh, nor do I plan on exhausting all the reasons um, why God does this and all the things that God does through our suffering. But I think today we're going to see some helpful things uh, through this uh, particular part of the story. So, Um, Another part of what I want to talk about as we get into this today is how in most of Jesus's miracles, apart from like a handful, uh, three of them I can think of, uh, in most of the miracles that Jesus performs, he's performing miracles for people who are in very difficult situations and more often than not, extreme suffering. 
Uh, a few exceptions would be uh, where Jesus turned water to wine. I mean, that was a wedding. Um, I think about when Jesus cursed the fig tree. Uh, and I think about uh, this miraculous haul of fish um, that, that Peter brought into the boat. Now, apart from those examples, most of the other examples of Jesus' miracles, even the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus is performing a miracle for people who are facing uh, some sort of hardship. And so the first part of John 6 we saw a few weeks ago where Jesus fed the multitude, um, the 5,000, and we talked about how even from conservative estimates, this was more than likely 15,000 or more people who essentially were without food. And so um, you can imagine uh, the difficulty the disciples were facing as they realized these people are expecting us to feed them. And Jesus, we don't have the resources. And so it was a very difficult situation um, that, that in which Jesus performed that miracle. We're going to pick up the story now in verse 16, John chapter 6. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. They were frightened, but he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. So, just a little more context, both Mark and Matthew capture um, this same story. And in both Mark and Matthew, um, we read that actually it was Jesus' decision to, to put them into the boat. As a matter of fact, Matthew 14, 22 says that immediately um, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And so this wasn't a simple situation where the disciples um, had lost track of what Jesus wanted them to do. And so they got together and said, hey, let's get in a boat and let's go see what's on the other side of the sea. Jesus told them, he commanded them, he directed them to get into this boat and travel to um, Bethsaida and then eventually to Capernaum. Now, what they encounter, though, is a really difficult situation. Think about it. We learn from the other Gospels that it's not until the, the fourth watch that Jesus actually comes to them, which means that that's between 3 and 6 a.m. So these guys have been out on the sea all night battling this, this headwind, uh, these waves that were continuing to press against them. So they were traveling in darkness. They had only made it about three or four miles, which was about halfway to their destination. They were facing the, the rough sea, heading directly into the wind, and they had been out there all night. So not only were they more than likely exhausted and, and famished and just weakened by all the physical exertion, I'm sure there was a sense of fear and anxiety. Um, more than half of these guys were fishermen before they became disciples, so they knew the dangers involved with being out on the sea at night in the midst of the storm. And I think it's important to note that Jesus is the one who told them to take this journey. Now think about that. Jesus, our Savior, this, this loving Messiah who, who heals and who, who, who rescues people from difficult situations, sends his disciples out into this situation. This makes me think about verses in the New Testament that deal with hardship and suffering and, and the strange things that we read sometimes in the Bible. 
like in James chapter 1, verse 2, James says to Christians, you should count it or consider it pure joy when you face difficulties or hardships. What a strange thing to say. In Romans chapter 5, the apostle Paul is talking about hardships and sufferings, and he says we rejoice in our sufferings. So according to James and, and Paul, there's actually something good that can be found in hardships and sufferings. And so we're going to look more closely at this story and look for the goodness of God and, and some of the reasons why Jesus has sent his disciples out into this storm. The first thing that I see here is that Jesus, not only through um, this particular situation, but even the fighting, feeding of the 5,000, Jesus is showing his disciples um, that he will accomplish impossible things through their weaknesses. So even going back to earlier that day when they're out there um, uh, on the hillside with the, with the multitude and the disciples are, are, are wondering about how they're going to feed this large crowd of people, and the first thing they do is they look at their minimal resources and they look at their own weaknesses, and the whole thing just seems utterly impossible. Yet through the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus showed them two things. One, how he was gonna work through them to do impossible things like feeding the multitude. But in the end of that story, um, they collected all the food that was left and we saw that there were actually 12 baskets, one for each disciple at the end. So Jesus was showing the disciples that he would do impossible things through them, but along the way that he would even meet their needs. And I see that here even in this story as Jesus walks out on the water and we see that he's going to do this impossible thing through their weakness. You think about this from this perspective. These guys were more than likely scared. They were tired. They were worn out. They had been trying all night long to reach Capernaum and had failed miserably. And then at the end of the story, through the presence of Jesus, through this miracle that he performs for them, what happens? They reach their destination. Not by their own strength, not by their own navigation, not by their own wit, not by their own ability to figure out how to solve this problem. Just like the feeding of the 5,000, it took the presence of Jesus himself. And so these guys were learning a really important lesson about ministry that from here on out, Jesus was gonna be calling them to impossible things that he would accomplish through their weakness. I see another thing here as well, I think it's inc incredibly important uh, to note. That Jesus shows us here that part of God's perfect and loving plan for his followers, it includes difficulties and even scary situations. Now, the reason why he does this is important. I think he does it not to show off his power, but to show us who he is. Like, did you, did you catch Jesus' response there to the disciples in verse 20? He said to them, it is I do not be afraid. So he didn't come to them and say, hey guys, watch what I can do. Don't be scared because of what I'm about to do. He simply said what? It's me. Or a, a literal translation is, I am, I be. It is I. Like, find your assurance. Find your confidence. Find your peace. Not in what I can do for you, but in who I am alone. And so we see that in difficult situations, God reveals himself to us. He's not just setting up difficult situations so he can perform a miracle or show off his power, but he's doing it that he might reveal himself 
to his followers. I think this is an important distinction between the crowd and true disciples. We think about it, and we're going to see this even next week in the remainder of chapter 6, the distinction between those who come to Jesus for what he can do for them versus those who come to him based on solely who he is. Crowds are drawn to signs and miracles, but disciples are drawn to Jesus. Now, this is even part of my own struggle as a Christian early on. I, um, I've shared with some of you before, I became a Christian in a church camp environment. And, and I met my Savior, I met Jesus in the first night of worship at a church camp as a 15-year-old. And was just blown away by his grace and his love and his forgiveness for me. And I believe I had a genuine uh, experience of salvation uh, at that moment, a true turning from uh, my sin towards the grace of Jesus. However, I struggled for several years after that because the misconception was that if I was going to experience Jesus or the powerful presence of God, I had to be a part of this big crowd singing big songs. And the problem was the church I belonged to was a little church with a little youth group. And, and we couldn't recapture the church um, or the, the church camp experience in, on a Wednesday night in our small little youth group basement room. And so for me, I couldn't wait to get back to church camp because it was there that I felt like I would be near to God again. And it took several years for me to realize that that's not where we find our nearness to God. It's easy to be part of a crowd. Crowds are fickle. Crowds come and go. Crowds gather on the hillside to receive the, the, this, this miraculous meal that Jesus has to offer only to a few verses later walk away from Jesus when he says something hard. But true disciples, true followers come to Jesus not based on what they hope he can do for them but based on who he is. And we see that distinction even here as Jesus reveals himself in a very intimate way to his disciples. Think about that. Nobody else witnesses this miracle but his disciples. And in reality, it's not just one miracle. It's, it's several miracles all at once, like Jesus walking on water is a miracle. Um, if you read about this account from the, the Gospel of Matthew or Mark, this is where Peter gets out of the boat and walks. So that's part of the miracle. Uh, part of the miracle is that, um, or another miracle is that Jesus calms the storm. And then did you notice um, at the end in verse 21, they were glad to take him into the boat and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. So there's another miracle that they reached their destination miraculously. So think about it. There's at least four miracles that Jesus pulls off here and he doesn't have a huge crowd to watch. It's simply for the disciples and them alone. And so in that, we, we, we begin to understand as Jesus approaches the boat, he says, hey guys, don't be afraid. Why? Because it's me. And in just that simple statement, Jesus is further revealing himself to his disciples. And so I think that is a, a second thing that God does in our difficulties is he reveals himself to us more deeply. Now, you, if you're listening now and you're a Christian, you know God on some level. But here's what I would present to you. You don't know him fully yet. And so how do you get to know God even more? Well, you get to know him through his word like we're doing together today. And I think that we see in this example, and I think this is what James and even Paul were getting at, we get to know him more intimately, more deeply, even in our suffering and difficulties. 
Well, there's a third thing that I think Jesus is doing here, and it's very subtle, but I think we can see it in the story. So think about the attitude and the heart posture of the disciples before Jesus approaches the boat and then after. So before, not only are they tired and weakened, we know they're scared because he says, don't be what? Afraid. So they go from afraid, scared, probably feeling a lot of other negative emotions, maybe even frustrated like, whose idea was this? This was Jesus. He's the one that told us to come out here onto the lake. We know they were at least scared. And then verse 21 says that at the statement where Jesus says, it is I, the very next words or description, verse 21, they were glad. They went from scared to glad. They were glad to take him into the boat. And, and it's very subtle, but you can just see a, a transformation of heart here as Jesus reveals himself to his disciples in the midst of the storm, the suffering, the difficulties, we see their heart begin to change. Some gospel truths we see in this story that Jesus, in his loving wisdom, at times, intentionally, sends his followers into difficult situations. We see that not just in this story, but all through the Gospels, that Jesus came not to give us an easy life, but to give us eternal life. We see that Jesus calls us not to an easy ministry, but, but to an impossible ministry that he plans to accomplish through our weaknesses. He does all this to show us what? That he can do impossible things through us. He does all this to show us who he is, reveal himself to us more intimately, and then he does this to change who we are. And this is where I want to land today. So another part of my Christian journey that began as a misunderstanding was the idea of sanctification, okay? And so what we mean by that, it's this this supernatural process where through our relationship with Jesus, through reading his word, through his Holy Spirit in us, he transforms us, he changes us. Now we know it doesn't happen overnight or all of a sudden, that it's a process, a daily process of slowly being transformed into the image of Christ. Well, I heard about this as an early Christian, this, this process of sanctification, and where, where I, what I misunderstood was what I was being transformed into. Because, again, my experience was at church camp, and so I thought, oh, Jesus is making me more like the spiritual leaders who I admire. Maybe it was a church camp speaker or it was a worship leader or maybe even my pastor at the church back home and so I kept expecting me or expecting Jesus to make me more like them to sanctify me and I and I completely missed that no no he's not transforming me into this 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 version of myself that I want to be where I'm more uh you know more articulate where I'm more convincing where more people like me like like I looked at all these people who I respected I thought I want to be like them so surely Jesus is making me more like them what I came to realize is that is not the goal of sanctification at all Jesus wasn't working in me to make me a better version of myself actually in a lot of ways quite the opposite slowly day after day struggle after struggle Jesus was tearing down the walls of pride in my heart the selfish ambition that I had all this these false ideas of what I wanted to be in life I wanted to be the guy who had it all together the guy with the answers the guy who people came to for wisdom and, and through a hard 
season of suffering and hardship, Jesus showed me the real heart behind sanctification. And, and for me, it came through a struggle with depression. And early on um, in my struggle with depression, um, I, I was around 20 when this began. And for, for a good two years, I fought kicking and, and screaming because in my life, if God loved me, I thought, why would he let me go through something as hard as this battle with depression that not only didn't feel good, but in my mind was taking me further and further away from what I thought he wanted me to be. I thought he, he wanted me to be this guy who had it all together, who could do anything. And yet this depression that was, that was in my life was, was causing me, or at least I thought it was causing me to become less of that and, and more of something that God didn't want. And what I realized is that God was using this depression in a sanctification process in my life to tear down my pride, to tear false idols out of my hand, and to bring me to a place of brokenness and weakness. And here's what I, I grew to learn. That's the better version of me. The broken me, the humble me, the me that, that embraces and even boasts in weakness because that is the place where God can most powerfully work through me for my good and his, and his glory. And it was, a, it was completely opposite of what I thought Jesus wanted me to be. It was just a small sample from my own journey and story and, and how God used a hardship in my life um, for my good to do the things that we see him doing here even in this story. Through that, um, I saw how God would work more powerfully through me when I was walking in the brokenness rather than trying to walk in my own strength. That's where I got to see God working uh, through me to accomplish impossible things. This is where I got to know Jesus as my real savior. What began is this idea of, of Jesus being this, this cosmic Santa Claus who just gave us all the things we asked for. Like I really got to know him as my savior in those difficult moments. And in the end, he was changing my heart from anger, frustration, fear to gladness and teaching me and showing me to embrace weakness, that the humble version of myself is actually the better version. Not the guy who has it together, but the guy who, who willingly admits, I, I don't know and I don't have all the answers and I don't have it together and I can't rescue you and I can't fix you or your situation. And the more I embrace that in humility, the more powerfully God seems to work through my life. And so here in these six verses, I see just a small example where Jesus does something very intimate, very powerful um, in the lives of his disciples. And, and, and in, the, in this moment, it was just for them. And now as we read it, it's, it's for us too. Jesus would show us how he can lovingly and yet willfully walk us through difficult situations. And so now I come back to James chapter one, verse, verses two through four, where James says, remember, count it all joy. Well, let's, let's just listen to what else he says. He says what? Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and st steadfastness, um, let it have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James was on to something, wasn't he? Consider it joy, not because you like suffering and hardship, but because you know by faith, God is doing a supernatural work in you. He's leading you somewhere through your suffering. 
This is what Paul was talking about again in Romans 5 when he said, uh, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Knowing that our suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Did you catch that? God's love has been poured into our hearts, not by changing our circumstances, but by his Holy Spirit living in us in the midst of difficult circumstances. And so James and and Paul are saying the same thing. God is using difficulty in our lives to sanctify us, to, to transform us into the image of Christ, to tear down our false idols and to tear down our, our walls of pride and to tear down um, all the selfish ambitions we have and, and all the confidence we place in our abilities. And it's only then when we come to this place of, of sweet brokenness that God most powerfully works in us and through us as his disciples. And I want to talk for just a minute about um, the difficulty of this coronavirus situation for us as a church and and what it means going forward. Um, hopefully next week, we're planning on May 24th, beginning to take um, some steps towards reopening. We're, on one hand, we're excited about this, but on the other hand, we realize this is gonna be a slow process. Um, we're gonna continue doing online services as well because we know that um, not everybody is ready to start meeting together. And while, while it won't be like flipping a switch and we're all back together and everything is back to whatever normal is, um, but we are excited because it's a step in that, in that direction. But, but we look back over the last six or eight weeks and we realize that this has just been really difficult. Um, for many of you on an individual level, we've talked about this, it's been difficult. Um, you've, some of you have, uh, just your health, um, not only has it been at, at risk, some of you have been sick. Some of you have had the coronavirus, so you've felt the physical impact of the actual virus. I know many others who haven't have experienced the economic impact. You've lost your job, your hours have been cut back, or you're still kind of just right there on the edge of not knowing if you're going to have a job next week. I know, I know that others of you, just the difficulty of not being able to be with friends and family socially, that's just had a, a, a di- an impact on you. Maybe, maybe you are like me, maybe you're struggling with depression or anxiety and during this time that's been heightened or, or increased because of your lack of social interaction, being cooped up at home or, or just the anxiety of, of, of you know, reading and watching the news. And so for a number of reasons, this has been difficult on us as individuals, but it's also been difficult on us as a church. It's hard. It's hard to, to feel like we are one body. It's hard to, 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 to feel like we're, we're worshiping together when we're all in different places scattered across the city. And so we recognize this has been a really difficult season and more than likely we have not fully experienced all the difficulty um, that, that we are gonna experience through this. Like it's not over yet. While there's a light at the end of the tunnel, um, there's still a length of tunnel to go, to go through. And so here's what we know though as a church. We know that God is on his throne. We know that God is a loving father who at times leads us as his disciples, as his church, into difficult situations. And that through these difficult situations, God exposes our weakness so that he might more powerfully work through us. I am blown away with what God has done through our church and in your life and the lives of our people, despite the fact that we're scattered right now across the city. Like it's, 
it's, it's not optimal, it's not what I want, but I'm so thankful for the way God has worked through generosity and sacrifice and just beautiful expressions of love and community. We know that God is revealing himself to us more intimately and more deeply. That when we get back together, I don't know fully how, but we know that as we sing together, as we worship together, we'll be worshiping a God that we know better, that we know more deeply, that we, that we understand more fully. And we know that God is using this difficult situation not only to sanctify us individually, but to sanctify us as his church. We don't have it together. We have not arrived yet. We're still in a lot of ways out in the middle of the sea, right? And, 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 and a lot of what we're experiencing, we're walking through, like we don't have answers fully for how, what this is gonna look like when we reopen. We don't know fully yet. There's a lot of unknowns. There are a lot of reasons why we might be fearful or scared or be anxious about what lies ahead. But we know this, that God works to transform our hearts from, from scared and from anxiety into gladness. And so I'm excited to see what God is gonna do in our church. I believe we will be different, but different for our good. Different in, in a way that, that we better reflect the image of Christ to the community around us. And so uh, we plan on reop beginning to reopen this coming Sunday, May 24th. And just, I'll give you a few details of what we expect that to look like. Uh, we plan on doing three services at the eight o'clock, 9.30 and, um, and 11 o'clock times. And uh, I think we've figured out how to arrange our room where we can get um, close to 23 families in at a time. Um, we don't know how many of you are gonna be ready to meet with us, so we're not quite sure how to, what to expect or even how to navigate that, what happens if we get too many people who show up for a service. We're not quite sure what to do with all that yet. Um, we do know this, we're not quite ready to open up all of our kids' ministry on Sunday morning, so we're gonna start with our services um, back in this room and then with nursery and toddler ministry available for those of you um, who, wanna, who wanna utilize that. You're also welcome if you come, bring your kids with you to the service. Um, we're gonna put our chairs in groups of four, and so hopefully that will accommodate most families, but if you show up um, with a, and your family is bigger than that, we're gonna be prepared to help move chairs around to get enough seats for you um, and your family to, to, just to sit. Um, beyond that, we don't have a lot of answers. But we know this, just like the disciples in the boat, in the darkness, out in the sea, that Jesus, our Savior, who loves us, is leading us through this. And so I wanna leave you with um, some questions uh, for reflection and discussion, um, and then look forward to seeing uh, you over the coming weeks as we begin to slowly reopen and gather back together as his people. The first question I wanna leave you with is this. Um, what are some of the most difficult situations you have faced? Surely today, as we were looking at this difficult situation, or maybe even as I shared a little bit of my own, you began to think a little bit about the hardships you've been through in life, and just want you to think for a minute about what some of those difficult situations were like. And then the second question I want to ask is this, what does it look like to face difficulties with faith? So there's two ways that we can face difficulties. We can face them in our own strength. Um, we can face them from the perspective of, of trying to solve the problem or, or, or trying to fix the problem in, in, based on our abilities and what we have to offer. Or we can approach those th situations in faith. What do we mean by that? What we mean by that is that we believe that God is using those difficult situations for our good like we've talked about today. And so just think for a minute, what does it look like in your life to face a difficult situation with faith? 
And then the third question is this. Have you come to the place where you are able to look back and see how God has used difficulties for your good? And if so, how has Jesus revealed himself more clearly through um, those difficult situations in your life? So I want to I want to encourage you to think about that as well. As we go through life, we are inevitably going to face hardships. And we know from the scriptures that God as a loving father subjects not only his own son, but, but his disciples and his followers to hardships. But as he does so, he's doing something good in us, right? He's, he's showing us our weakness. He's, he's, he's showing us how he wants to work through us and our weakness. He's showing us more deeply and more intimately who he is, and he is transforming us into the image of Christ. Let's pray together. Thank you so much for joining us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the power of your word, and God, how you um, lead us to a deeper and better understanding. God, beginning with who you are, you, just like Jesus, out on the water in the middle of the lake, says to his disciples, this is me, here I am, it is I. God, when we open your word, God, you reveal yourself to us in that way. And Father, thank you for showing us through John chapter six, the difference between being part of the crowd, the the fair weather fans, versus being a true follower and disciple. God, thank you that you meet our needs as your followers. God, I thank you that you don't waste suffering, that you work in every moment of our lives, including and maybe even especially in the hard moments to transform us into something better. Not a better version of ourselves, but you transform us slowly, glory by glory, difficulty by difficulty into the image of Christ. And so God, help us to have the heart attitude of James, to consider it joy when we face hardships. Help us like Paul to rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that it's for our good and for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.